So if you look back at how far you have come, you look at your trophy cabinet and you see all of the accolades, the best London dry gin in the world. I mean, it, it seems like you've done everything right. Was it part of a plan where you calculated in terms, in terms of what you were going to do? Uh, yeah, I guess you always try and try and do everything right. Don't you? Um, sometimes it uh, doesn't always go perfectly to plan, but yeah, we sort of we spent a lot of time, I guess, uh, pre pre launch, uh, sort of about two and a half three years, kind of building the whole strategy, uh, building our route to market, building kind of what does one year look like, what does two years look like, what does three years look like, and kind of we mapped it out and probably spent. A heap of time in the, in the early days, um, which seemed like eternity sort of building that strategy. So when we actually launched and sold our first case on February 14th, six and a half years ago, or whenever it was, Valentine's uh, Day. Day, yeah, we, uh, we kind of had a pretty good plan of what we wanted to do, and then we just kind of had the ground and sort of been running ever since. Uh, you know, back then we were sort of you know, slinging cases out of our, you know, little office in Ponsonby and, and, uh, and then we sort of built it, built it from there, really. So it's been busy. Can you, can you talk about some of the factors that went into that strategy? Because you've, you know, you've both got uh, kind of experience that you've bought, that you've bought into this along the way, but what were some of the factors that you could see? Like, could you see uh, this potential trend towards micro distillery, the, you know, where you're looking at the market here and comparing that to what was, what was happening overseas? Can you talk about some of those elements that went into that, into that thinking? Yeah, yeah, like it was, um, it was pretty apparent based on what was happening in, uh, in the UK, throughout Europe, and uh, in the US, you know, that there was some, you know, some real, real surgeons, first of all, in, in gin as a category, but also in craft spirits. So, you know, we could sort of see that uh, happening abroad. And, um, and it was only a matter of time before that was going to start, you know, start in the New Zealand market. But, you know, when we first launched, um, there was only us and one other New Zealand gin brand in, in the market. So, you know, we were we were right at the start, I guess, of kind of that of that trend. And then, um, and then, you know, we spent the first year building the New Zealand domestic market, and um, you know, first of all, selling all the best bars, all the best restaurants. Uh, and it took us about six months to get our New Zealand distributor up and running, um, Hancock's uh, Beer Wine Spirits Merchant, to probably you know the well, we think the best um, business in the industry uh, in the market, you know, family owned, um, you know, independent, you know, really amazing portfolio. And so we got them up and running after about six months, and then we started working on our export strategy from there and, uh, and sort of, you know, into Australia, into the UK and Europe, uh, throughout Asia and, and the US after that. So, yeah, I guess right back in the beginning, in the early days, we, uh, when we were building that strategy, it was kind of right down to, you know, a surgical level of what bars do we want our, our product to be in, what retail stores, you know, um, what are we actually trying to do here and what, what are we trying to create and sort of build the strategy from there, really. You know, and, and we spent a lot of time, you know, on actually building the sweet spot for the brand to be um, positioned in because, um, you know, that was obviously a key, key part of the whole process. So, yeah, it was, it, was, it was really good. It was sort of both from kind of liquor industry backgrounds and, uh same with the third co-founder, Richard Burke. You know, he was um, had worked in FMCG and um, and sort of brands kind of positioning and strategy work. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of early upfront work went into it. And when you're talking uh, so domestic and exporter, obviously two two different kind of strategies. But how how do they work hand in hand? Is is it important to kind of build that domestic base first as a as a footstep? To give you that, to give you that scale, to then to then go global, or are they two different kind of 
Um, they Thanks. kind of, yeah, they kind of uh, one, in, one in the south, aren't they, really? You sort of need your home market and your base to be kind of uh, substantial to sort of help fund the export side of things because uh, the New Zealand business is, you know, is, is a big, big chunk of our total, total business, but it also helps um, fund a lot of these other markets where the investment upfront is quite substantial and they, you know, it takes, a, you know, those first couple of years of quite heavy investment and, and sort of slow with kind of building brand and building route to market and building distribution. Uh, so you need the New Zealand market to be, to be supporting that. Um, so, yeah, from, you know, similar sort of strategies where you have like a really good, uh, you know, premium um, sort of position distributor in each market. And so it's the same sort of strategy, but kind of slightly different, I guess, because you don't have the home home um, market as your, um, as your background in these international markets. So after after two and a half years, was it, was it a tough thing, even though you've done all the work, you've got that experience, you've got the, the strategy, you know, to take that leap? To take that leap away from the security of a of a corporate job potentially, or you know, to to take that leap into that. What what was sort of process was that for you guys? Uh, well, I was I was sort of self employed before, so it wasn't wasn't too scary for me. Um, but he had to work, he had to work on me. I was I was comfy. I was in a corporate world. Uh, uh, I was actually at Lion, which we know had some good brands, some good people, and good culture, and that sort of thing. So. Um, Dan's actually my brother-in-law, um, so that helped. So, you know, every time uh, would catch up and be trying to pull me out of the rat race, really, and then, um, yeah. So now it was, it was kind of, and we sort of were working on it, sort of um, leading up to the kind of the full-time basis, sort of, you know, nights and weekends and et cetera. And then, uh, yeah, we went sort of full-time on it, um, I think, in about October, and then we launched in the, uh, the February following February. So, you know, we sort of had a good kind of few months um, before we launched just really full-time working on kind of just tightening that strategy and sort of that, kind of that plan once we were ready to launch. But it took a lot longer than expected, you know, as, as, as we found out, everything takes a lot longer than you think it's going to take. And, uh, and that was pretty much the case with this one. What was the what are some of the hurdles around that? Is it just you know were there were there things that you? Oh, I mean, we can get on. We can talk about the global pandemic a little bit later on. But earlier on, were there things that you just didn't expect uh, to be hurdles? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like I guess things like um, bottle design, packaging design took a lot longer than expected. And uh, you know, we sort of went for a custom bottle, and it took oh, about five or six different designers to kind of get that. That bottle right, and that took a lot longer than we expected. And then just kind of getting the overall look and feel um, of, of the packaging, and then uh, and the actual recipe and the formula you know, for what we were trying to create with our gin profile was, was took a lot longer than expected. So I think everything just takes a lot longer than you kind of think it's going to take. And it still does. Still does today when we sort of launch a new product. We we think it's going to take six months. It really takes twelve months because it's sort of. Now, success is generally not a linear straight line process. You know, you sort of go around in circles sometimes to, to get to kind of the perfect result. So, yeah, it definitely always takes a little longer. And, uh, and there's always hurdles that you sort of, uh, that you don't appreciate until you get there, really. Mm, like a name change? Like a name change. That was, uh, that was a story. <laughs> <laughs> that was, uh, that was a big hurdle, that one. Yeah, that was, um, that was one that kind of, Caught us a little bit off field, and uh, and definitely it sort of it was a hurdle, and a bit more of a kind of a, it just slowed us down a bit because we were sort of 
we were in this uh, in this phase of the business where everything was was going really good with our international strategy, and, and uh, you know the brand was was going exceptionally well in New Zealand and Australia, and then we just got this you know this letter from this American brewery, and you know it was a bit of a bit of a punch to the guts, really, and it just kind of meant that we sort of instead of focusing on building the business like we were and um, and building our route to market internationally, we had to basically stop and sort of come up with a whole new whole new name and a whole new proposition, you know, which was which was bloody challenging, wasn't it? At the it was time. challenging, yeah. It's good that like you can look back now and like, yeah. look back at it now and like and actually we turned it into like a kind of a shit 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 idea into an actual opportunity and we kind of relaunched and um, you know, generally with, with any campaigns, if you've got some authenticity in a actual story, people will, will come along for the ride. So Whilst it was harder, the kind of campaign of changing our name, we turned it into positive and actually grew sales out of it domestically and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it was a bit of fun. Yeah, it's not something I'd probably rush to do again. No. And you sort of learn, and I think, you know, when we first launched, you know, we were sort of probably, you know, we didn't fully appreciate the world of global trademarks, you know, but we've sort of got a lot more of an appreciation for that now. And so, uh, so you know, so it's, it's exciting to be where we're at now. Like for skate race, we have we've got a trademark in about eighty different countries around the world. You know, so it's we're fully well protected for that now. Mm. It's a really cool name. Does it? Do you kind of feel like you, you know, that problem actually resulted in a and and a much better situation for you guys? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, definitely. Like, um, love the name more so than uh like we like Rogue Society, there was definitely nothing wrong with the name, but we love Skate Race and the position that we've sort of built around that name. And it sort of it just feels like, it feels really good, you know. You mentioned uh you know the marketing and turning that as part into part of the story and then authenticity around that. I've been kind of wondering about about you know some of the secret elements to I don't know if they're secret, but you know what is what has made your marketing and your branding, your positioning so successful? Do you think is it has it been about that storytelling and about that uh, about that irreverent authenticity? Yeah, I think so. Like we've always kind of treated, I guess, product and brand as equal. Like you know, there's a lot of products out there where they put all the emphasis on the liquid but they don't have really have a brand that they can connect to or they have a brand that's really engaging, but the product's not really that sharp. So definitely we've put a focus on, I guess, you know, purposeful packaging, um, thoughtful storytelling, um, and kind of gin as a category has been very traditional in its old English where we've kind of tried to, I guess, make it a bit more modern progressive, talking to us versus, I guess, our, our grandparents, you know. So it's been a key part for sure. Yeah, definitely. And that, and that link, you know, as we were talking about with your trophy case, like uh, you obviously haven't taken your eyes off the off the product. Again, can we talk about some of the elements? I know in other interviews you've spoken about the the water. Is that has that been like a key thing? Are there are there other things that you'd attribute it to as well? Yeah, I guess there's a combination. Like when we started, there was sort of four foundations of quality to make what we thought was, uh, you know, award-winning gin and. It was kind of like the four things was kind of a, a very clean base. So we start with a wheat-based grain, which is from the cleanest neutral grain spirit we can find in the world. Um, so, you know, many, many spirits are made from different bases. So whether it's grain, whether it's corn, some use byproducts like uh, whey um, and dairy, etc. So we start with a very clean base, which means we get a very clean finish. Um, the botanicals that we use, um, 
they're dry, but the key thing is they're very um, citrus forward, so lemon and orange peel, dominant botanical. Um, why that's useful is most drinks that you make with gin, a lot have a citrus element, so you've kind of got floral or citrus at different spectrums or savoury. We kind of parked up with citrus because there's so many options there. Um, the next thing is kind of techniques and what we use. We use a, an old 19th century whiskey still, which is a John Doe coffee pot still. Um, and then the fourth most important ingredient, which many people, and especially in New Zealand, take for granted, is, is the water. So, um, you know, we use, um, we've got a um, aquifer, which is sort of 43 metres below the ground. The first time the water comes out of the ground is into our still. And, you know, we don't distill our water like many other people around the world. But, again, we take that for granted that our water is so so clean. So those four things, you know, even if you're missing one of those things, you kind of, we feel you're missing a pillar of quality. So, yeah, clean grain, um, you know, great botanicals, a good still, and also your water. So those are the four foundations that we've built this product on, um, yeah, which has kind of really got it to where we think it is, yeah. Can you... Uh... Can you talk some numbers? Can you talk about the, oh, you don't need to give away, you know, or you don't need to open up your, your books, but just, just kind of generally talk about the value of the gin market here uh, and what you're sort of tapping into globally? Uh, so off the top of my head, the latest um, uh, gin category in New Zealand is around about 130,000 mine-led cases, and, uh, which is that's across every every. Um, product you know, every, every tier. And so we sit with Scape Race in the super premium end of the market. Um, so that's generally anything kind of well, $65, $70 and up, you know, it's kind of that sort of super premium um, end of the market. We're the highest selling super premium gin in New Zealand and we're the fifth highest uh, selling overall gin brand. So, um, you know, the brands that are selling more, more than us in, in that category are generally the sort of the lower um, sort of mainstream kind of um, value brands. So, so we, you know, New Zealand, we're, we're, we're trading really well, you know, and, um, and, you know, we've sort of got a really good sort of cult following, you know, amongst, um, amongst New Zealand um, uh, market, which is, which is really good. And then internationally, uh, you know, we're sort of, our biggest markets are the likes of Australia, the US, UK, um, and then um, a few markets throughout Europe. You know, we're sort of trading around about 15 to 20 markets throughout that eastern, uh, so throughout that European region, and we've sort of got maybe five or six that are kind of up on that sort of same level as the likes of um, Aussie and, and the UK. So, you know, we're trading around about 38 markets internationally. Um, some of those markets are relatively small, like the likes of Slovenia or, um, you know, a few, a few of the other markets around the place, and then, you know, this is some, some much bigger ones like the, like the US and the UK. Do you imagine that, uh, you know, some way down the track we could, it could be a similar kind of thing to the wine industry where it might be, you know, a relatively small part of uh, sort of global uh, global consumption, but it's still a relatively um, sizable industry for us here. Do you imagine that there's more potential within within uh, your world for that, for that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think the New Zealand wine industry has done a really great job at sort of carving out a premium position within the kind of the global alcohol industry. So New Zealand wines, you know, internationally are, you know, are really well regarded and, you know, it's taken decades to kind of get to that sort of level. With. And the New Zealand spirits industry could definitely sort of, uh, you know, come in alongside that. And, and you're sort of seeing that in, in particular markets, you know, like the UK where New Zealand is really well regarded as a premium product, you know, uh, and the New Zealand wine industry has really helped shape that in the US and 
like. So definitely, you know, I think, um, and you're sort of seeing that uh, at the moment, you know, there's a, a you know a real uh, there's a real bubbling, you know, kind of New Zealand spirits industry at the moment in New Zealand, and it's and uh, you know, and when you're starting to see a lot more um, New Zealand spirit brands exporting, it's, it's good. You know, it's good for the overall kind of New Zealand spirits industry, and kind of helps kind of build New Zealand as a as a spirits. I guess uh, country, you know, spirits producing country. So, yeah, it's all it's all good stuff, really. Uh, and was it again? Was it always part of the plan for you guys to start looking at vodka as well? Yeah, the, the, from day one, you sort of always um, the plan was always to create a global uh, super premium spirits company. So, you know, we we always wanted to start in, uh, in gin, um, but sort of expand into other categories uh, over the you know the future. So. Vodka is the first category that we've extend, extended to, and uh, we launched earlier um, this month. Yeah, this month, um, <laughs> a few weeks ago, and uh, it's going it's going really good. And then uh, we've got some um, some some great NPD coming out next year and other categories as well, which is pretty exciting. I was reading, uh, I think it was a stuff article. Uh, we were looking at because um, we consume a fair a fair bit of vodka here, but it's, a lot of it's overseas stuff, so it's a it's a fairly sizable. A sizable market. Do you think that uh, um, you know that there's the potential to kind of take take a little bit more of that locally? Yeah, I reckon um, it's a it's a bit of a shame when you sort of do see the the scandal that we get. You know, it's um, you know vodka is you know it's a big category here in New Zealand, and the scandal that we get sort of shows you know thirty odd million consumed you know um, you know through retail sales and. Of that, you know, one percent is, is sort of domestic brands. You know, it's all sort of multinational, kind of uh, foreign-owned sort of uh, brands. So, you know, we, we feel that we, you know, if we can sort of resonate some of the success we've had at the gym category and into the body category, and sort of, you know, maybe sort of set up around that kind of top five, six sort of spots, you know, that'd be a, that'd be a pretty good, pretty good uh, success. So that's kind of what the goal is really. And we sort of we'll put as much. Time and energy and focus and love into building our um, into building our vodka product as we have gin over the last six and a half years, and you know a lot of our international markets, you know, are screaming out for a premium New Zealand vodka as well. So mm-hmm. you know we can start sort of um, shipping that up to our up to our other customers at the same time. Obviously, a lot of uh, a lot of interviews now are you know. Uh, around COVID, because um, it's kind of impacted a lot of sectors. Uh, but what are you what are you seeing? Uh, I mean, do, for, for you guys, do you think that there are there are a couple of benefits? Do you think that uh, there's more of a push for uh, local consumers to to support local, and at the same time, in terms of um, how we sit globally, like we're looking pretty good. Uh, you know, we're seen as a bit of a safe zone, and then. Um, uh, there's got to be there's got to be more awareness around um, you know the environment and and that water that's so intrinsic to the to the product. Do you do you get the sense that there will be uh, there's more potential locally and globally for you guys? Yeah, yeah, I definitely think like um, you know to definitely agree with your point. You know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of interest in supporting local, and you can sort of see that across across everything at the moment, really. And um, and I think New Zealand's in a, in a bloody good place, aren't we? You know, to to sort of have a really solid kind of local, you know, local businesses and local economy going at the moment, you know, which is which is great. So I think um, you can sort of see the New Zealand public are actually out there and, and hunting for New Zealand products to support you know, and help kind of 
you know, uh, replace some of that uh, some of that money that we've lost through various different industries. You know, if we can sort of spend a little bit more locally, then obviously that's going to help the work economy. So I definitely think there's, there's a good opportunity for that at the moment. And you sort of you do see it across a number of things, don't you? Really? Yeah. yeah. Also, I guess that perception, like you mentioned as well, like, you know, it's kind of does link back to that, you know, that a country that is natural and it's, you know, got its own little wee sort of uh, landscape and, and bubble. I think for brand New Zealand, it's, it's definitely dialing into that as well. Yeah. Do you, do you think that there are lessons in what you guys have done for, uh, again, so many other, so many other industries? Uh, when you look at, you know, you harness that water that is so again it's just there and is, and this and then there's all the brand uh and the and the, the pure kind of um 100% pure awareness around things do you think that there's there's a lesson in what you guys have done for other people to look at how we can add value to what we're producing here find find more value in terms of um you know the physical processing but then also the brand uh brand story as well yeah like i, I think a lot of that's been done like whether we were overseas the three things that come up is um, hobbits, for one, and this idea that we live in this remote, natural, beautiful landscape which is untouched, and we actually have traffic lights is a big, big piece. So hobbits, you know, which again talks back to brand New Zealand, a lot of the tourism stuff being done, which is fantastic, and you know, so that's one thing that always does come up, and then it's kind of the wine industry, etc. So yeah, I think definitely, and I think a lot of brands when they export are. Uh, are telling that story, you know. Um, yeah. But it's an interesting one because if you have a very similar brand proposition of, you know, where, you know, we talk about our, our water source and all that sort of stuff in New Zealand, people kind of look at you like, you know, why are you talking about that? And it's not that valuable, you know, like we, we kind of know that. But, you know, the story is a lot more powerful overseas. So it's kind of balancing that brand position globally but also domestically, I think. Mm. Um, so you don't become a New Zealand billboard pure 100% pure billboard in New Zealand you know you've kind of just got to balance that balance mm. that you know? um, yeah there's a, there's a lot of brands that are you know letting off the New Zealand clean pure you know 100% pure kind of environment stuff you know so you sort of got to carve out your little space in that too you know so not just as I said another New Zealand tourism board billboard you know and the New Zealand government does a lot of that for us anyway you know they sort of you know do those billboards, you know, so when people think of New Zealand, that's what they think of. So you've got to kind of carve out your own niche spot, you know, so that there's a, there's a USP there, really. Flight of the Concords, that was the other one. Flight of the Concords is the other thing that we're popular for. Yeah. Yeah. Throughout the moment, uh, correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, Hobbits and Flight of the Concords. <laughs> Would there be, uh, I mean, this is probably a, a good place to ask, but uh, so any other advice, so as well as defining your own voice and your own USP, but um, for anyone that's that's out there looking at, uh, you know, maybe they've been thrust out of the corporate world into, into a, an entrepreneurial potential, is there any, any other advice for, for that you'd give you know, in terms of looking at product potential uh, and how you might go about that? Um, I guess... Uh, like teams always pretty pretty key, isn't it? You know, and sort of if you are going to sort of you know get into your own business, building a team around you that have got different skill sets than what you have, you know, find someone that's better at what you're not good at, you know, and sort of build a really solid team around you. And we've got we've got that here. We've got a really good team. Mark's got a different set of skills than I've got, and then our finance director's got a different set of skills. And they, you know, you obviously you, 
you know, your team's kind of critical, you know, and then we've got, you know, we've got really solid governance in place as well. So we've got a board that we meet you know, every two months and, um, and that's a really good sort of sense check for us, you know, um, and kind of you know, bounce ideas and it's quite a collaborative kind of process. So yeah, team, team's really key. And then, um, you know, talk to, talk to everyone, you know, talk to a lot of people before you kind of get into sort of things and, and maybe don't just listen to what your, uh, your family says. If your family says it's a good idea, then maybe look at talking to a few other people, you know. So we, we, we spent a lot of time in the early days doing a lot of work on kind of, you know, right across a commercial model, a finance model, a marketing model, you know, actually building that kind of business and actually, so when, you know, when we were ready to launch, we've kind of done, done a lot of that upfront work, you know, so there's so many businesses sort of, I guess, start and sort of, you know, kind of don't get too far past that first year or two, you know, so it's, it's you know, to get to six, seven, eight years up, you know, it's, it's quite, quite, quite exciting. Yeah. Is it important to find a, to find a good brother-in-law to work with? They can go either way sometimes, can't they? Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've got triplet sisters, so I've got a few, yeah, there's a few options on my side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's a good partnership, you know, we've got, uh, we're quite lucky that we've, you know, we've got a really good sort of partnership, yeah, so it's good. Are there, are there, oh, nah, no, we, like, yeah, bus up, you just get over it and move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, in terms of the in terms of the vodka, what's the Pavlova thing about? Because again, all I'm reading into it is that it's creamy. It's got you know the the, the kind of water. Is that was that was that part of the intent to? No, <laughs> no, no, basically, um, basically not. Like, um, yeah, no, that was kind of I guess um, an an interview which um, decided they got pretty excited about we made a Pavlova vodka, but essentially. In a nutshell, like anything, whether you're drinking a whiskey that has a cereal and apple characteristic or a Pinot Noir that's got kind of a cocoa mid kind of chocolate influence, um, basically um, where that stemmed from, which is back to your question, is um, it is, as a, as a blank canvas of a spirit, it's quite thick, it's high in viscosity, um, it's also a little bit sweet, like a pavlova. So that got taken to the headline, Scapegrace produces a Pavlova vodka, which we haven't. But, um, um, but yeah, in a nutshell, it's, it is, yeah, it's thick, it's quite creamy, it's textured, um, it's very silky and slightly sweet as well, which, you know, um, is where the Pavlova-like characteristics come from. But it's a, it's a really good canvas. Like, and I think one thing we can do with the vodka is, you know, gone is a day of, shaking up some martinis and making the Cosmo. Um, pretty much, you know, vodka gives you a blank canvas to create some really simple and beautiful drinks, you know. And I think a big thing for us is changing that cocktail strategy with vodka, um, you know, and that, that, sort of, um, that, that, that sort of positioning. So, yeah, it's a blank canvas to make some really nice drinks. It's interesting. Has the, uh, what's, the, what's the market response like? Is there a, uh, I know the Pavlova thing got taken out of uh, context lately, but is there a, does, it, does it appear that there's a market demand there for Pavlova vodka? I love it. Well, I think you've got a lot of clicks for, um, for the uh, online article, but yeah, I don't think so. Like what, what kind of was, I guess, when you look at things quite seriously and kind of took it to heart, like, oh, would probably would never do a Pavlova vodka. It just doesn't it doesn't fit our brand ethos. We'll create the world's first uh, naturally black gin, which challenges what innovation does. But we won't we won't um, create a Pavlova vodka. 
How did you find, um, just again, going back to the COVID side of things, but as well as the opportunities that we that we covered, I mean, it's been particularly tough for um, hospitality sector. From from your perspective, what was your, you know, what was it like for you guys to to be dealing uh, with that through the lockdown, and then what you're seeing what you're seeing now? Uh, it was a pretty crazy time, wasn't it? It was sort of, you know, it was it was a bit of a, it was a, you know, when that was all going down into mid March, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was sort of. Um, like everyone, I guess we were sort of just trying to figure out what that was going to look like over that lockdown period, and and we were um, we were fortunate fortunate enough to um, have an online store, and um, online liquor sales was classed as essential business, so we were, we traded right through lockdown and uh, managed to sort of supply uh, New Zealand with skate race uh, during that lockdown period, which was which was bloody awesome, and um, and so during the lockdown we traded we traded pretty good, we sort of. You know, even uh, domestically, uh, distributed Hancock's, um, which which is uh, part of and Gary's, they were trading like too as well. So we sort of, you know, the business, domestic business was pretty good uh, throughout the whole lockdown period. Internationally, it was uh, it was definitely a wee bit down with you know with basically every bar in the world you know was closed. So you know the US and Europe and UK and Australia, you know, our export export sales took a bit of a hit during lockdown, um, but then. You know, when, when uh, the market started opening back up again, there's been a massive kind of um, big, big push for, you know, for you know, a lot of activity, you know, and that's both domestically and international. So in New Zealand, you know, uh, bottle stores and bars are generally up, you know, quite substantially on last year, uh, which is which was really, really positive. Um, and spirits is, is probably one of the best performing categories because I guess one of the reasons is because duty free is obviously now non existent and duty free used to be such a big part of the New Zealand spirits category. So they you know, used to make up around about a third of the total volume of, of New Zealand spirit of oh, sorry of spirits and the New Zealand market would go through duty free. So if you take that out of the out of the picture, you know, a lot of people are uh, buying their spirits from their local bottle store or over the bar or their um, their local bar. So you know, on-premise and off-premise sales are, are well up on, on this time last year, which is which is really good, really positive to see because it was a bloody tough time for you know for the hospitality segment right throughout that lockdown and and also the weeks following you know when we were dropping down to those other levels. You know, so yeah, it's it's I think everyone sort of you know there's obviously it's not widespread across every every on-premise out there, but you know, I think there's definitely some good results coming through and you know some people are sort of talking around about sort of Christmas type, you know, sales, you know, through through bars and through bottles. Well, it's really good. It's really good to sort of see that bounce back, you know, and hopefully, you know, it'll, it'll even out some of that, um, you know, some of that lost income for, for the guys, you know. Is it, is, it, uh, is there also a consumer kind of sentiment thing? And I keep, um, people spoke about it in the last GFC as well, this shift to more affordable luxury. So you can't have the holiday to Bali at the moment. Maybe you can't buy a house at the moment. So you you spend a little bit more on those affordable luxuries, like good quality spirits. Yeah, it seems to be. You know, they're definitely, it's, it's, to be honest, it's hard to know, you know, what's, what's going to happen over the next few months. You know, we sort of, Try and make yeah, um, predictions and forecasting. We obviously have a pretty solid budgeting uh, model that we, we, we're rolling, but you know, it is really hard to know what's going to happen sort of in that uh, back end of the year once, you know, once all the subsidies run out and 
to the moment things are going going good and you sort of most people you talk to you know obviously with the exception of the obvious ones you know like the airlines and tourism etc but most other industries sort of seem to be kind of be doing okay so it's bloody hard to know really what, uh, what to expect over the next uh, six months or so mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're talking before about um, the potential in export here and, and creating those premium products. And it, But is there still a hurdle in terms of just the basic logistics, like uh, if you've got less planes running and, and the freight uh, side of things? Yeah, there's not so much really. Like we sort of, all our stuff's so done um, through sea freight. So, you know, there's still a good amount of um, you know, ships going between everywhere. And, uh, you know, we've got a lot of uh, NPD and, and launch um, to our export markets um, coming up, so you know we're pretty we're pretty optimistic actually on the outlook. You know, and we're sort of still forecasting pretty good growth for for our for our this current financial year. So you know we're we're reasonably optimistic, aren't we? You know, on on kind of the, the outlook for the business and and what's ahead. I had a um, before this. I had an interview, and it was uh, someone from the hospitality uh, sector, and uh, and they were in tears, and I felt like a real dick because uh, we we're kind of talking about you know things, and and uh, they were saying that when, once the helicopter money runs out, you know, if we if there's no change in the borders, there's potentially like fifty thousand jobs in the hospitality sector. Like that's freaking, yeah. it's, it's crazy. Um, so again, you know, we can, uh, you know, the, the, there's there's so much talk about this side, and it sounds really glib uh, to try and be, you know, to try and look for those silver linings and to try and be constructive. But if we, you know, if we do look at the reality of the situation, there will be many people that come out of that sector and need to need to find something. Uh, something new. So I'll, I'll put it onto you for that constructive side of things. But if you were you know, if you were looking at the New Zealand economy from a macro perspective, where do you think the green shoots are? Where are where are the where are the new opportunities within within our economy? Well, oh, that's a good question. Uh, well, I think it's kind of um, some of the some of the things that are being worked on, I guess, at the moment. You know, and it's that sort of innovation, you know, and kind of new industry, and you know, the kind of the core core things that um, that are currently being worked on. Um, you know, but I th- it's a bloody hard one to answer, really, to be honest, because there's going to be a, a shitload of, of people looking for, for, for work in, you know, in the next sort of few months. Uh, so I think green shoots are hard to know. <laughs> hard to know, to be honest, though. Because um, it's, it's going to be need to be pretty pretty large, isn't it? You know? um, but I think there, there is opportunity, you know, where, there, where, there's, where there's, you know, there's trouble and, 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 and issues, there's also some opportunities, you know, and I think, you know, you know, small business, small and medium enterprise is probably a good place to be, you know, to be focusing our attention, you know, and actually building more SMEs and, and sort of growing at kind of the domestic business, and, um, and that's probably somewhere, you know, that you know, innovation and SMEs are probably a good place to sort of focus technology innovation and SMEs. there you go yeah yeah and I guess those existing businesses that have kind of like most of the SMEs that I've talked to they've completely changed the landscape of their business which was you know this was a strategy and then they've kind of lost that 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 but now they're focused on that so it kind of I reckon widens that foundation as well like if you've got you know like we've changed quite a few things but once the tourism comes back and you know other markets come back then we're going to have a bigger 
bigger base. So I just think, mm. yeah, forcing you to go into places that you probably wouldn't have gone to, you know, or looked at or, you know, pushed you into something that well, strategy is now, you know. Mm. Yeah. Can you talk about some of the some of the changes that you've made? I guess you're not doing overseas kind of sales calls, you know, sales visits. <laughs> but any, anything else that you've that you've changed to give yourselves more efficiency? Uh, we sort of kind of the whole the whole process kind of makes you sort of take a step back and look at everything. You know, doesn't it? You know, sort of you look at the business from top to bottom, really, and look at what you're doing and what you could be doing better, and and, uh, and that's right across everything from you know. From you know, sales right through your speeds lines and everything like that. So, you know, kind of that this whole sort of um, this climate that we're going through kind of makes you makes you do that. Um, in terms of things we've changed, obviously, yeah, it's just, um, our, our travel budget's a lot less than it used to be. You know, we'd sort of be generally, you know, overseas kind of at least every six eight weeks. You know, kind of um, you know, and sort of visiting our distributors and, and sort of um, helping them build the brand in these different markets. So. You know, a lot of things over Zoom and, you know, we had our, you know, we had like an annual sales conference every year in the US where all the state sales reps come into one place, um, you know, once a year and there's normally 40 people, you know, at this meeting it was all done over Zoom, which is, which is great. It normally takes like a whole week out of your, out of your diary, whereas we smash this out in sort of a few hours one morning, you know, presenting our plan for the next year. So you're changing that sort of things and it sort of makes you a lot more, um, you know, a lot more efficient, you know, and some of the things you're doing. And then we're looking at kind of how to pivot in some of our markets where the on-premise is not back up and running to a full extent and sort of, you know, we're traditionally an on-premise focused brand, so we sort of try and build our brand in the key bars, restaurants, you know, in different cities around the world. But with a lot of those bars and restaurants sort of not trading to the same level, we really need to pivot our focus and look at kind of more of, off-trade sort of e-commerce type model and so we're working with kind of pretty much all our distributors to sort of to, to do that and to you know to, and to um, you know use a lot more digital and a lot more social to sort of help drive and, and, and launch our brands or launch our new products so we're kind of and then you know online we're sort of you know working with um, various you know with our New Zealand distributor to sort of help try and build our online presence here as well and sort of work with them on kind of different initiatives to kind of get the on-premise back up so you're kind of changing everything, really, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. and we've kind of kept the gas down with innovation. So people were sort of saying you're crazy to be launching a whole new category in the mm. pandemic. But for us, that kind of, that was the opportunity. No one else is really launching new, new opportunities and stuff. And most of the retailers and consumers are just like, awesome, you know, get into that. Mm. So we've kind of continued to keep the gas down, really. Yeah, that, it's interesting. I mean, it's, I guess it's a good time to to gain market share and to, and, and to grow also. And, and what you're saying about, uh, you know, working internally. So when these external factors uh, come back online, like potentially you're going to be a much stronger uh, business. Does it, does it feel like that? Yeah, yeah definitely. Cause you sort of, you know, if you look at a hundred percent of your business, if you lose 30% of the duty free, you know, because the airport's all closed and no one's traveling and you've got to find that 30% from somewhere else, you know, and then, Bars are still, you know, closed in a lot of countries. So then you've got to change. So you basically just you've got to think fast and, and make, you know, make kind of revised strategies and revised kind of plans of how you're going to still get that 100 percent back again. I guess. So yeah, we've, we've you know we've got a really good team here and um, good partners internationally. So we've, you know, we've spent the last kind of three months, three or four months, kind of working 
Again, um, you know, I started talking about it at the beginning of the conversation, but there's something just really inspirational in terms of what you've done. You know, you've 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 created uh, this beautiful combination of marketing and, and product, a product that has won awards globally and put us, you know, put us on the map in terms of uh, what we can produce in the spirits world. Uh, do you, are, are you noticing? Are you are you getting people coming to you? look? You know, you've inspired me to go and start this and. Are you at, are you at that? To, not to put any more pressure on your shoulders in terms of in terms of the environment here. Uh, no, yeah. <laughs> I get a few people kind of say, "Hey, look, I'm going to start a gym. What are your thoughts?" And like, yeah. oh, geez, <laughs> <laughs> it's a long road. But it's tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah no, like, definitely. I think like the, you know, getting the water of the world's best London dry gym definitely um, helped yeah. with some of the momentum. And, you know, it's all good us saying our gin is really good, but to figure name the best London dry gin in London amongst 600 gins, I think, in 90 countries, we're like, shit, this is actually good juice. Um, but that definitely has helped with, you know, people actually... It's definitely helped with kind of, you know, and you do get some of the other New Zealand spirit companies saying it's been really helpful, you know, that you've won that award because it sort of helps build the New Zealand spirits industry. And, you know, because everyone, you know, is in that same sort of, you know, same sort of space, you know, there's certain market of kind of how much product you can sell in the New Zealand domestic market that you really need to get that product on a boat and start exporting it, you know, to actually build a build a kind of business in this in this industry. And so anything like that helps, you know, anyone that's starting out, I guess, a, a New Zealand gym or a New Zealand spirit, you know, is a, is a, you know so it's, it's good in that sense. And you can, you know, you do get some of the some of the other guys coming in and so that's that's really been helpful. It's a good little incubator in New Zealand, like it's such a perfect side, I think, to start if you're looking to sort of start a um, business, whether it is spirits or, you know, some industries better than others. But you can kind of test the water, change a few things, um, not waste a heap of cash, um, and then sort of look to, look to grow it as well. So, mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, uh, you know, I come from, the, from a media perspective and we can be – notoriously competitive with each other on a local perspective, uh, but then forget about the, the global players coming in and taking market share like Facebook and Google and that kind of thing. How does it, how does it work within your industry? Are you supportive uh, of each other, bearing in mind that you've got that kind of global thing, or, or can you be competitive here as well? Uh, I think it's pretty supportive, especially you know, New Zealand, New Zealand produced spirits. You know, New Zealand produced alcohol in general is pretty supportive, really, isn't it? Across, That's a thing across, now, isn't it? Yeah, across every category, whether it's beer, wines, or spirits. Um, because, you know, proportionally, we're all quite, still quite small in proportion to the to the uh, global brands. So I think everybody's trying to help build that category, you know, that New Zealand spirits or New Zealand alcohol category, you know. So, yeah, I think it's really supportive. And everyone's everyone's pretty, pretty much in that same boat, I think. It's come le- leaps and bounds, really, isn't it? Last for three, four years to yeah. you know framework around you know spirits and so on. Yeah. What is that? Can you describe that framework? Like, what is what is that that kind of growth over the over the last few years? Is it is it like growing up a little bit? Uh, the actual industry itself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think um, yeah. I think I mentioned at the start it was really only one or two other. New Zealand brands when we started, but now they'd be thirty-eight at oh, least. No, gin would be shit. You know, hundreds, hundred. You know, probably hundred sort of micro. Really? Sort of, you know, probably more actually. 
all the hundred sort of micro distilleries throughout New Zealand, you know, making gin, vodka, whiskey, you know. So it's, yeah, it's, um, it's and now there's kind of, you know, there's a, a distilled spirits ATRL, there's an association that represents those members. Uh, you know, it's sort of, it's definitely growing up a, a lot, you know. And so, and, you know, it's, it's, there's a good, good partnership there, I think, you know. Is that part of a global trend? Like, um, there's probably a couple of things happening, but during lockdown, like we're all making sourdough, kombucha, and that kind of. Are we just becoming more more conscious of uh, yeah. once the zombie apocalypse hits, being able to have everything ourselves in our own communities? Yeah, definitely, definitely globally. Like, if you look across Australia, there's hundreds and hundreds of you know micro stories in the US, much the same UK. So definitely, it's a global. Yeah, craft craft spirits is definitely, you know, some of the craft beer, um, you know, it's a good kind of reference in terms of, you know, some of the trends of, you know, um, premiumization, moderation, local brands. It's definitely some some of the trend globally. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Um, a question about question, uh, question about questions, but for my next interview, I don't know who that will be yet, but any, is there any question that you'd like to ask uh, maybe about leadership or... Uh, Innovation. For your next interview? Yeah. Help me out with some questions. Oh, right. Um, um, ask, ask the, ask the, uh, the um, one that you asked me around the economy, because that's a good one. <laughs> the green cheeks? The green cheeks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who's, who are you interviewing? Is that, uh, what industry is it? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. There'll be... Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But there will be... Um, They'll probably be a business leader. Yeah. What's what's our favourite question we used to ask in geologies? If you're stuck on a desert island. Yeah, if you're stuck on a desert island and you could take three people with you, who would it be? That's cool. <laughs> You'll this soon cool. find out what their character's like. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Can I throw that back at you? Oh, shit. I'm never to myself. Oh, shit. Well, I have to take my bloody... Let's take my wife, I guess, can I? I don't know. Um, my wife and my two boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well done, Dan. Yeah, good on that one. Oh, you're looking at me? Yeah. Yeah. I'll take my wife. I've got three boys, so um, I couldn't leave any of them. I'll probably uh, take uh, Alvin John to sing a few songs along with. Um, and also, um, who else? Question. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Last one would be yourself, Dan. Just, oh, thanks, just so we could um, <laughs> spend some time and figure out how to grow this business even bigger because we're only just started to put the gas down. Yeah. 